Good morning, everybody. Yes, yes. Like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you here to the South Suburban Vineyard Church on this Memorial Day weekend. So glad that you could be here with us today. Um, I am one of the pastors here. My wife Shannon and I are the lead pastors. I'm excited to be here with you this Sunday morning. Special welcome to those of you who might be visiting with us for the very first time or for the first time in a long time. It's good to have you here with us today. I also uh, want to say hello to our um, online audience, those of you who are watching us live or on demand later. It's so good to have you here worshiping with us virtually. Before I get into the message this morning, I want to just mention just a few things. As you could probably see, if you've been hanging around here for a while, the SSV is growing. Have you noticed that? Our church is growing. Yeah, give it up. And so at any given time, we'll have loads of people who are just sort of kicking the tires, just trying to figure out if we're crazy, like when are the goats going to come out and be sacrificed? When are we going to get weird? And if this is a place where they and their family are supposed to set down roots. So at any given time, there's tons of people just checking us out. But from time to time, at a regular clip, there are folks who are saying, I'm coming out of the sort of question mark area, and this is the church where God has called me and my family to set down roots, and it's our custom here to celebrate new members. And so I just want to highlight a couple new members. Uh, Steve and Sally Blum have uh, joined our church, and so Steve, can you wave at us and Sally right there? And we just want to say welcome to the family, and so when you see them around today, don't touch them or hug them unless you, unless you ask their permission first, but welcome them to the South Suburban Vineyard Church family, and so welcome Steve and Sally Blum. Uh, also, just a few other notes. If you're new here, you may or may not notice that we have a fantastic children's ministry uh, from uh, uh, ages infant to fifth grade. Uh, right down this back hallway right, right here are classrooms where you can check in your students um, um, to a wonderful children's ministry um, where the teacher, yeah, give it up. And it's led by fantastic people, and fantastic people serve there. And so we won't be bothered right now if you get up. You didn't know that, and you say, oh, I can check these kids in for a few hours. We won't be bothered at all if you just walk down this hallway and somebody will check your kids in. Also down this hallway back here, our students are meeting, and they're from grades uh, 6 through 12th grade. And they have a wonderful, we have a student ministry here where they get an age-appropriate lesson and an opportunity to fellowship with students their age and learn about Jesus and Jesus's heart and mission for them in an age-appropriate setting. They're in this service with us every other week, but on this particular week, they are in their student ministry classroom. And you can feel free also to get up right now if you didn't know that, and you can go walk them down this hallway. And so we want you to take advantage of that. We want you to check your kids and utilize the service. We could also use more volunteers in that ministry as well. So feel free to volunteer there if the spirit moves uh, and we would really, really appreciate that. I've also got a note from uh, the children's ministry that we need people to pick up their kids on time. <laughs> so if, you, if you're up here getting prayer and you're, you know, in the spirit, we'll wait for you. But if you're just talking and go get your kids and then you can come back and talk. We want our children's ministry uh, volunteers to, get, to be able to get out of there at a reasonable time. And so um, I don't want to say that in a mean way but I do mean it, amen? <laughs> uh, we also have a nursing mom's room and a parent lounge down this hallway. If you go out this back door and all the way at the end of this hallway, 
Uh, we have a parent lounge in a nursing mom's room. So if you're nursing a baby or your baby just a little bit fussy, but you still want to hear the service, you can just go out that door into that room. There's a TV in there where you can see and hear what's going on in this room. And so if you didn't know that was available, we wanted to make you aware of that. One final housekeeping note. These doors, we were using them during the pandemic to come in and out. Uh, we were hanging out in the parking lot, not so much in here. But at this time, we want these to be emergency exits only. So I know many of you have gotten accustomed. Your car is just right out that door. But please, discontinue using these doors. Our security team has asked that we keep those doors closed throughout the duration of the service and even after the service. And so you can feel free to exit through the back. And so just make a note of those few housekeeping things. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us. Now let me get into the message. I have the privilege this morning of continuing a teaching series that we've been simply calling Empowered, an Empowered series on the person, the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's fitting that we engage this series and continue to engage this series on what's known as Pentecost Sunday. Maybe you didn't know this, but today is Pentecost Sunday, where millions of Christians all over the world celebrate and remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the early believers, and that account is covered in Acts chapter 2. But Pentecost is a significant moment in the life of a church, and we celebrate that with our brothers and sisters all around the world, and we continue this teaching series with hundreds of other vineyard churches all over the country as we seek together to gain a better understanding about the role work, world and work, excuse me, of the Holy Spirit. And in the vineyard, we believe in the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've also taken time over the last few weeks to talk about the Trinity, or the doctrine of the Trinity, which is considered to be one of the most central Christian affirmations about God. The Trinity aptly describes, in my view, the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one God in three distinct persons. And while the term Trinity doesn't necessarily appear in Scripture, it is a fitting way to describe this unique and divine trio of Father, Son, and Spirit. And we've been focusing for at least the last four or five weeks on the person, the role, and the work, and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We began this series a few weeks ago by talking about the Holy Spirit as being an indwelling presence that will always point us to truth. And Renee beautifully helped us to explore in week two what it looks like to keep in step with the Spirit, to keep up with the Spirit, and what companionship with the Spirit looks like. In week three, Jordan talked about the gift of prophecy, which he explained to simply hearing from God for other people. And Lauren followed in week four with a message about the other spiritual gifts. And she urged us to consider how important it is for us to walk in humility as we use our spiritual gifts for the greater glory of God and for the well-being of other people. And if you were here last week, you heard Sister Andrea just pastor us so well as she talked to us about having the correct posture toward the Holy Spirit, a posture of dependence, a posture of desperation, and ultimately a posture of deference toward the Spirit. I just want to pause for a moment and say, can we give it up for our preaching team at SSV? You, you, may or, you may or may not know what a gift it is to not just hear from one voice, uh, but to hear from a diverse group of voices that are committed to the scriptures, committed to this family of faith, 
and that can faithfully contextualize the scriptures from a number of different vantage points, we have a great gift here in our preaching team. I also just want to highlight uh, 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 all the powerful women of God who have stood up here and preached. Can we give it up for them? You may have put this together, but we are the type of church that believes in empowering women. We believe that we can get something from the scripture and God can give us something through the voices and perspectives of these women that we would not get by any other means, right? And so I'm grateful and I thought it'd be nice to just mention it. But as we've been focusing on the role and work of the spirit, we've attempted to demystify the spirit and to put what has felt lofty on a lower shelf so that even the students, even the babies can come and, get, and grab it. Even the kids can lay a hold of it. And I want to continue this teaching series by talking about maybe a subject that we don't talk about enough, uh, particularly in the life of a church, but especially in the realm of the spirit, and that is the subject of reconciliation. Reconciliation. And reconciliation simply means to restore friendly relations between two things or two parties or two groups. Reconciliation means to cause to coexist in harmony, assuming that at one point the parties were estranged or that they are somehow currently at odds. I'm talking about reconciliation. And in case you didn't know this, I believe reconciliation should be one of the chief concerns of any serious follower of Jesus or anybody who's even interested in the kingdom life, interested in the spiritual life, interested in life with Jesus. I believe that reconciliation should be among your chief concerns because after all, we are called to love God and to love people. If you've ever bought any of our church merch or if any seen any of our literature, you might know by now that our, our slogan, the line that we live by is what? Love God, love people, and live it out. That's our slogan. That's what we live by because when somebody came to Jesus and they said, teacher, like what is the, what is the great, greatest commandment? Or what must I do in order to inter- inherit eternal life? Jesus told him succinctly, love God and love people. It's the thing that we're supposed to measure every action of our life. It's the thing that we talk about over and over and over again because in in order to inherit eternal life, in order to live this life the way God intended it for us to live, we must love God and love people. To put it a different way, we must be in right relationship with God and right relationship with other people. Everything in life, particularly the spiritual life, boils down to to those two things. But because we're sinful, because we are selfish, fallen creatures by nature, we find ourselves naturally at odds with the living God. Naturally estranged from our maker, and our creator. And wouldn't you know it that one of the major outworkings of being estranged from God, distant from him, at odds with God, is that we become naturally at odds with who? The other humans. The other people we're supposed to share this planet with. And we are divided. We are estranged. 
especially in this weird cultural moment that we're in right now. You couldn't slice the demographic pie into any more slices. We've never been more divided. We've never been more at odds. We've never been more in need of meaningful kingdom reconciliation. And so it behooves the serious follower of Jesus and even the curious seeker to be concerned with what I would call the ministry of reconciliation. You say, preacher, that makes sense, but what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? I believe that the Holy Spirit is involved in the ministry of reconciliation. And that's the case that I want to make this morning with a message that I'm simply calling the work of the Spirit in the ministry of reconciliation. The work of the Spirit in the ministry of reconciliation. Will you meet me in your Bibles in Acts chapter 2? I'm going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. There are paper Bibles on the edges of your row if you're old school and you want to follow along in a paper Bible. We won't be offended at all if you would follow along with us in your mobile device and on your tablet or your phone, so long as that's what you're actually doing. Uh, and we will also be projecting the words on the screens uh, as we go along today. So Acts chapter 10, while you find that, let me pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Father, we thank you for the atmosphere that has been set by our worship team, the invitation that we've all given you. Come, Holy Spirit. Not that you're not here. We're just saying, come, Lord, more and stay, please. And as we interact with your word today, Father, would you teach us? Would you speak truth to us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you move us in your direction today? May our hearts be soft landing places for your word and for your truth. Do something mighty in this place today. And Father, as I heard one preacher say, Lord, if we've asked you for too little this morning, blow us away. If we've asked for too little, give us all you got this morning. Move the preacher out of the way. May your truth and light shine through. We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Acts chapter 10. I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, and Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon a Tanner, who lives near the seashore. Verse 7. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners, and in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds, and then the voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. 
No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, then the sheet was suddenly pulled to heaven. Verse 17, Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was standing there. Verse 19, meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit, who said to him? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. Now, I love this text especially for this series, especially on Pentecost Sunday. I think this is a deeply meaningful text that deserves our attention because it's a powerful demonstration of one of the ways the Spirit moves, one of the ways that the Spirit interacts with us, one of the ways that we don't talk about enough, one of the ways that we need to talk about more, one of the ways that if we lean toward it, it might fix some of what's wrong in this broken, fractured, divided, cultural moment. I love this text. It's deeply meaningful to me, and if you've been hanging around here for any length of time, you might know that this text informs who we are as a church and how we've come to be so beautifully diverse. And as we examine this story, we see at least three things. I want to give them to you up front as we walk through. We see the Spirit of God is working. We see the ministry of reconciliation. And there are certain outcomes that we'll observe as we acknowledge the Spirit's work. The first thing we see is that the Spirit is working. Don't ever forget it. If the kingdom is advancing, and it always is, then the Spirit is working. If the kingdom is advancing, and it always is, then the Spirit of God is working. I love this passage in Luke, and it appears in some of the other Gospels, where Jesus goes into the synagogue, as was his custom. In Luke chapter 4, verse 17, we see what happens. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he enrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, if this isn't a mic drop moment, I don't know what is. Now, Jesus is much too humble to drop any mics or to showboat or say, ha, this is me, I'm the man. But in my mind's eye, I imagine Jesus rolling the scroll and saying, listen, all this stuff that we're talking about right now, all this stuff that the prophet foreshadowed would happen, they're talking about me. I'm him. I'm the man. Jesus says, this is talking about me. 
this is what would happen when the Messiah would come. This is the ministry of the kingdom. And I'll admit to over-focusing a lot of times on what Jesus would do because it's a really impressive list. Bring the good news to the poor. Proclaim that captives will be released. Blind eyes will see all kinds of healings and miracles. The oppressed will be set free. That's an impressive list. And while I'll admit to over-focusing on the activity of the kingdom, I often under-focus on where the power comes from to do the stuff. And Jesus opens by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the spirit of God has anointed me, has empowered me, is the juice behind all the kingdom activity that you are about to see me do. I tend to under-focus on that, but not in a series like this. God is at work. Through the Spirit, through the life of Jesus' ministry, and the same is true with the early church we see in the text we read today in Acts chapter 10. So back to our text. We meet Cornelius for the first time. Scriptures tell us that he's a Roman, off, uh, Roman army officer, that he's a Gentile. That's a significant detail. But we also know that he's a good man. Scriptures tell us that he's a generous guy. He's a God-fearing man, as was his whole family. But he has this strange vision of an encounter with an angel. Now, I've in- interacted with this text for decades, and for the first time ever, I noticed that this was a vision of an encounter with an angel and not actually an encounter with an angel. Maybe that's, you don't care about that, but I was like slightly annoyed that I had missed that detail all these years. But it seems significant to me because all throughout scripture we see encounters where angels are showing up and it's not necessarily the spirit at work or the Holy Spirit, rather that it's an angelic being showing up. But in this particular case, I was a little perplexed that Cornelius is having a vision of an encounter with an angel, which tells me that the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is working here in this powerful way. In this vision, The angel tells him that Peter is supposed to tell him something, to give him a message. And so Cornelius sends for his most trusted messengers to bring Peter back to where they are staying. Interestingly enough, as the messengers near the place where Peter is staying, Peter has a divine encounter of his own. Now, in case you don't know who Peter is, Peter is a Christ follower. He's actually one of, the, uh, 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 one of the apostles, one of the early church fathers, leader in the Christian church, and he's been boldly preaching the gospel and healing the sick and building the Christian church, continuing the ministry of Jesus. And unlike Cornelius, Peter is a devout Jew. And Peter goes up on the flat roof to play, and he has an encounter with God an encounter with the Spirit, and he falls into this trance, and he too has a vision. And on this vision, this huge sheet is lowered down in front of him and all sorts of animals in it, and the voice commands him to get up and kill these animals and eat them. Well, naturally, Peter refuses because many of these animals in the sheet are uh, unclean and off-limits, for a devout Jewish person, and Peter protests and says, I will not do that. 
But the voice says to him, don't call something unclean if I have made it clean. This happens three times, we learn from the text, and then this sheet disappears. Am I the only one that thinks this is very interesting? I mean, it's so interesting that it's, it's right on the edge of bizarre. And as we read this interesting story, we see that God is using these animals that were lowered down in the sheet to challenges, challenge Peter's list of people who were socially off limits to him. And what's more, I think that the Spirit of God, in giving this vision to Peter, is trying to widen his imagination for who God loves and who God is sending him to. I also might think that it's also possible, as one commentary writer put it, that God really didn't want P Peter like, like evangelizing people toward Jewishness, but toward Jesus. And so there's a whole lot of layers happening here. There's a whole lot wrapped up in this vision that Peter gets because this experience highlights and begins to shatter the boundaries that have now defined both Peter's life and Peter's ministry. You hear what I said there? This vision is challenging the boundaries that have defined both Peter's life and his ministry. Notice how I couple life and ministry. If I've said it once, I've said it a million times, that the boundaries that define your life will also define your ministry and your Christian witness. I want to let that sink in just for a moment. The boundaries that you allow to govern and separate and segment your life will also govern, segment, and divide your ministry and Christian witness. You know, I have pastors come to me all the time. They hear about what kind of church we have, and they say, do you know, how do I get a diverse church like SSV? I, I, and I just instinctively ask, well, how diverse is your regular, like, life? And I don't say it with any sort of smugness, maybe a little. But I have just found that our ministries and our Christian witnesses won't be any more diverse than our actual real life is. And some of you have found that true. As your friendship circle has widened, so has your evangelical scope and reach. As your life has widened and the fences have been torn down and more and more people have been invited into reconciled community with you, so has expanded your imagination for who God loves and who God wants to call unto himself. It's amazing how that happens. And so it's no mystery why the Lord, through the power of the Spirit, would challenge Peter on his mindset and his worldview and his tiny little world because of who he was called to be. Peter was, after all, a devout Jew, and devout Jews tended to hang only with other devout Jews. The Spirit of God is clearly up to something, but what is the Spirit up to in a word? Reconciliation. Reconciliation, specifically the work of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, 
which is the second thing I see in the text here. If you have eyes to see it, you can see that the Spirit is working. The Spirit is doing a lot. Among the things the Spirit is doing is the Spirit is moving Peter toward Cornelius. The Spirit is moving Cornelius toward Peter. And the Spirit is moving both of these men toward the living God and his new plan for them. The mission of God, they're both moving toward it, and they don't even know it. We're talking about reconciliation. Because reconciliation, as we say around here, is a contact sport. That is to say, you have to get close to that which you're to be reconciled to. You can't phone it in. You can't zoom it in. Like, you actually got to rub shoulders with that which you're supposed to be reconciled to. Peter's moving closer to Cornelius. Cornelius closer to Peter and both of them closer to God. That's what these visions are about. Our Holy Spirit encounters are meaningful. And I feel like I need to say this, especially since we're talking about the Spirit, because some of us just want, like, we want to just cry during worship. And we're like, the Spirit came. We want to run around the church, and you can run around this church. I didn't know if you had permission, but you can run around this church if you want to. The Spirit came. Somebody's slain in the Spirit, and somebody's shaking over in the corner, speaking in tongues. You can do all that here. But the Spirit falls not so we can shake and convulse in the corner but so that we might be changed. And so that we might find ourselves on mission and so that we might be reconciled to that and to those whom we're to be reconciled. This work of the Spirit here, these visions are meaningful. And what Peter is learning, among other things, is that his world is too small. And he's in good company today because most of our worlds are too small. If your world's too small, then your worldview is going to be small. If your world is small and your worldview is small, then your evangelical scope and reach will be small or much smaller than it's supposed to be. Peter's getting a lesson here. And what Peter is learning through this faithful encounter is that these boundaries that he's embraced are problematic. They are unhelpful. They put him at odds with his purpose because he's called to bring answers, to bring kingdom help to those who are dying, those who are estranged from God, those who need to be reconciled from God, uh, those who need to be reconciled toward God. And so he's getting this really, really important lesson because he needs a theology that includes those who had been previously excluded in his mind, in his worldview. He needs a more expansive understanding of the gospel and who the good news is for, and I feel very comfortable saying it, and so do we. We need a theology that includes those who have been previously excluded, and we need a gospel that's big enough, more expansive, to include who we would consider categorically other. Other. And this Holy Spirit encounter 
happens as Peter is instructed to do something that he doesn't want to do. To go somewhere he doesn't want to go and to move towards someone that he doesn't want to go to. It's funny how often the Spirit nudges me to do something I don't want to do. Right? If you ever wonder, huh, what is some of the distinguishing marks of how I will know that the Spirit is leading me? Well, most often it will probably be leading you to a place where you aren't already going. To some place where you aren't already yet. And dare I say it, the Spirit is often leading you toward people that you probably don't really get down with like that. That's like one of the ways you know the Spirit's leading. If the Spirit's always leading you to where you already want to go, to who you already like, it might be a Spirit, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. And why does Peter need to move toward Cornelius? I can think of a dozen reasons, but I, one of them would be, I don't know, the Great Commission. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to what? All the nations. I don't know, that's just one that comes to mind off the top of my head. All the nations. That we're called to all the nations, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but the nations have come to us. Why does Peter need to move toward Cornelius? Because he's a citizen of the kingdom. He's an ambassador of Christ. He's a carrier of the gospel. He's a continual of the ministry of Jesus. And this 30-mile walk that he has between where he's staying and Cornelius' house is going to quite literally shake up the world. It's going to change the world. Because when you boil it all down, Cornelius needs what Peter has. Suffice it to say, the world needs what we have. I'm talking about all shades and colors, all tribes and tongues, all the sexual orientation, all of the political affiliations, they need what the people of God has. And maybe you knew that, but you didn't know that. You know, you could know something and not know it. And you could have heard something, it rings true to you, it sounds poet, po poetic, but it cannot like be in your bones yet. And I, I want you to get this in your bones. The world needs what we have. Cornelius needs what Peter has. The scriptures tell us that he's a good dude. He's a good guy. He's generous. He's likable. But I don't know if you know this, but there's going to be a lot of good people in hell. Homewood Flossmore is full of good people, and frankly, I found that our goodness is our sickness. I 
Because we think about bad people as, you know, people in the striped, like, hamburger outfit with the, with the black thing over the eyes, creeping through windows, stealing pearls and diamonds. And if you're not that guy, or if you haven't killed anybody, like, lately, then you're good. That's why the church-going population and every city in America is declining. That's why folk who used to not miss one moment of church are on the once-a-month plan. Who shade? Shade? I'm not throwing any shade. I'm not looking at anybody. Because we think we're good. Cornelius was good. He likes God. He does a bunch of good stuff, but that's not enough. He needs his sins forgiven. He needs to hear about Jesus. He needs to be filled with the Spirit. He needs to be reconciled to God through Christ. He, like many of our friends, he was good, but good isn't what God is after. God is after the ministry of reconciliation for you to discover that you are a bigger scoundrel than you thought you were. But we're a good news church, so you also need to know that God's goodness is gooder than you thought it was. And his love and his mercy and his pursuing nature is more tenacious than you could ever consider. And when you put those two things together, you are more of a scoundrel than you thought you were, and God is gooder than you thought he was. That's the gospel. And Brother Cornelius doesn't have that peace just yet. Cornelius needs what Peter has. But also, Peter's life and ministry needs this encounter more than he knows as well. He needs to experience Cornelius for reasons that we'll explore in just a moment. He gets this vision from God through the Spirit. He kind of argues with the Spirit. I don't want to eat that stuff. We don't eat that stuff. God, you, you gave us these Jewish laws. Like, we don't eat that stuff. And after a tussle, he chooses to go. Now, he doesn't know what's on the other side of this meeting with Cornelius that will change both his life and Cornelius' life forever. He doesn't know, but you know who does know? The Holy Spirit knows. And this is why we need that deference, that posture of deference. This is John Drew was talking about last week. He needs Peter, and Peter needs him. He doesn't know it yet. The Spirit does. They don't know it yet, but they are about find out. So let's examine the outcomes of these guys moving toward one another, being reconciled. First thing we see is that Peter learned that these boundaries he's embraced are a problem. They put him at odds with his purpose and that God has more for him than he had previously imagined. He learns a lot. What did Peter learn from this experience? Well, if you read further in this chapter, you see that Peter agrees to go and visit with Cornelius. And when he arrives at Cornelius' house, he finds that Cornelius, with great expectation for what God 
has planned for him, has assembled his entire family. And not only that, but also the neighborhood as well. So don't imagine Cornelius just reluctantly complying with the strange vision. Okay, let's just hear the man out. Let's, let's hear what he got to say so we can get on with our Gentile stuff. No. With great expectation, his whole family's there. And not only that, he told y'all scooch in so the neighbors can come and hear what the man of God has to say. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what's going to happen. But I have this creepy suspicion that it's going to be something impactful. Verse 28 records Peter's words to Cornelius. He says, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or as unclean. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And so Peter shows up, and he preaches the gospel to all these people who are gathered. And not only does Cornelius and his people get a deposit, we'll talk about that in just a second, but Peter sees something that he needs to see. And what he sees is that God is bigger than I had imagined. This gospel could be and should be accessible to more people than I had imagined. Imagine that. It gets better. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles and they get baptized, verse 44. As, even as Peter was saying these things, he was sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues. Isn't that something? These Gentiles are speaking in tongues. Holy Spirit don't care who it falls on. And praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized? Now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. You see what happens? This is amazing to me. I almost get emotional thinking about it because I just know that this is what we're called to do. What's super amazing about this is that the Holy Spirit was working on both ends. The same Spirit that was pushing Peter to go talk to Cornelius was the exact same Spirit that was pushing Cornelius to go talk to Peter. The same spirit. Well, what was the goal? Reconciliation, expanding Peter's worldview, expanding Cornelius' understanding who the people of God were, and that he could possibly get in on that action, moving them both toward God's mission and plan for their life. It's the same spirit. Cornelius hears the gospel, receives the spirit, he's baptized family and friends, 
For this Italian Gentile Rome, uh, uh, army officer, know, who knows what generations were impacted by Peter's obedience. And in that moment, they were reconciled through God, to God through all of this. And so Peter climbs down from this rooftop, reluctantly obeys the spirit leading, and has an encounter with the living God, which urges him toward this encounter with this group of people that radically changes both his life and theirs. Now, I don't know a whole lot. But one thing I know, especially through planting this church, is that God often hides the best stuff just on the other side of a barrier that we're afraid to cross. I mean, he doesn't even hide it well. Like, a lot of times it's just, like, right on the other side of it. I'll say it again because I want it to sink in. God often hides the best stuff for us on the other side of a barrier that we're afraid to cross. It's the story of my life. I'm over my time a bit, but I know there's a lot of folks who are new to this church, so I just want to run this down for you real quick. I grew up on the chocolate side of Chicago in a beautiful chocolate community. Preacher's kid, just like my world was huge to me in my very homogeneous, beautiful black community. And all of that was disrupted when I moved to Champaign-Urbana to go to the school at the University of Illinois. Did, didn't see a whole lot of chocolate, you know, down there. But to make a long story shorter, as my world was being upset and up, turned upside down, the Lord gifted me with some friends who were not chocolate. <laughs> some friends who were white and who were Asian and who were Hispanic and every other stripe. And thereby changed my world forever and set my life on a different trajectory as he gave me this immersive intensive in two cultures and realities that were not my own. And I come into the vineyard, big vineyard church down in Urbana, super white church, and these people love me so well. And despite my cultural discomfort, the Lord like is teaching me so much through these, like these white people that I don't have anything in common with. And he's changing my whole life. He's altering my course, and I didn't really even know it. I mean, it's just happening incrementally, but he, right? And I'm complaining to God about this super white church that I go to and how I don't get my cultural needs met. I got to go to a black church on Wednesday just to hear some black folks sing and preach and pray. And the Lord says to me, not in an audible voice, and some of you heard this story, but as clearly as I've ever heard the Lord speak to me, he said, when you start your church, make sure it's not that way. 
So birthed out of holy discontent, birthed out of this immersion, immersive cultural experience, the Lord births the vision for the South Suburban Vineyard Church. And we move here in June of 09 with a diverse group of people. We move to a diverse collection of cities, Homewood, Flossmoor, and we start the South Suburban Vineyard Church. And I just, I, I resonate with this experience that Peter's having because this is my life. And like, Lord, why'd you give us this beautifully diverse church just so we can really look good and flex on them in the pictures and make all the other homogeneous churches jealous? Maybe the Spirit was up to that, but probably the Spirit wanted to expand our worlds a bit so that we could have a broader imagination for who God loves and who God's after. We call this little slice of community, Christian community here, a love university. It's an institute of higher learning where we learn to love people that we don't choose. It's a place where we learn to see value in places where we might have missed it before so that when we go out into the real mission field, this ain't the mission field, this is a pep rally right here. Mission field is where you work and where you go to school, where you shop and where you skate and where your kids play in the park. That's the mission field. And so if you learn in here that God values the brown person sitting next to you, or the white person sitting next to you, or the Filipino person sitting next to you, or the Hispanic person sitting next to you. If you learn that in here, that when you go to work, and when you go to school, and when you go to get apples from the mire, it might occur to you that that person is valuable too. And you might be more interruptible if the spear would have you to move toward that person. You sit next to some Republicans or a Democrat or somebody who you don't know what their political affiliation is. In here, you might consider the fact that God's expansive kingdom might include the political party that you despise. And before long, nobody, but nobody, is off limits. And this is the role and work of the Spirit. Worship team, you can make your way back up. This is the role and work of the Spirit in the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling us to God. Reconciling us to other people. And if you want to ever test, if you're yielded to this, if you want to test if you're being obedient to the moving of the Spirit in this realm, just look around you. Now, you've made a good choice in choosing this church. And don't give yourself too much credit for coming here because you're sitting in rows looking at the back of somebody's head. Look around your, you know, friendship list on Instagram or Facebook. Who gets to sit around your table? Who are your friends? Who are you rubbing up against? Ministry of reconciliation. The Spirit is deeply involved in it because we need to be reconciled both to God and both to other people. And so 
as I close, well over my time. If the Lord were to lower a sheet in front of you and say, move toward it, who might be on it? What, what kind of people? Who is God calling you to be reconciled to? And for some of you, this isn't a type of person or a different ethnicity or something. Like it's an actual person in your, in your life, in your world, somebody who's wronged you, somebody you're at odds with. Now, we weren't really talking about that today, but I just feel like the Spirit of God is for reconciliation whenever there is meaningful estrangement. Who is the Spirit urging you toward? How is the Spirit expanding your imagination for who God loves? And finally, I would ask, because in a room this size, there's gotta be at least a number of people who need to be reconciled to God this morning. You've drifted, you've faded, Something happened, someone happened, and the Spirit is moving you to be reconciled with God. And maybe you just coming here this morning and hearing that God wants to be reconciled with you is enough. Maybe you were awakened with a dream in the night. Maybe the Spirit just like wouldn't shake this fact that you need to move closer, move closer toward the people of God and the things of God, to be reconciled unto God. Who here? will respond to the Spirit. And so as we sing this final song, would you stand with me if you can? And we'll invite the Spirit's presence. We're going to sing a short version of this song and we'll move into ministry time. But the goal here is to say, come Holy Spirit. We want to experience you. We want to feel you. All that stuff, people. We want to be transformed. We want to be changed. We want to be moved. So come Holy Spirit.